Today on Blue 58, the Packers are headed to Miami this weekend to try and take the second step in their push for the playoffs. What do they have to do to beat the explosive Miami Dolphins? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. A couple of things I wanted to mention before we dive into the body of today's episode. Keep those charity donations coming. The charity drive runs through December 31st, so you've got nine days as of this recording to get your donations in. And I uh, would hate for you to miss out on an opportunity to get one of the fabulous prizes we have uh, for those of you who are able to participate and lucky enough to come up or have your name come up in the drawing. Uh, the second thing is wanted to mention our programming schedule will be a little bit different around this weekend. Look, the game's on Christmas. I'm not going to work on podcast stuff on Christmas. It's going to be out sometime on Monday, whenever I get a chance to sit down and watch the game. I'm not exactly sure when, but it is going to come out early in the week at some point. And at that point, we will be back to our normal podcast schedule after that. I know it's not a big deal. Hopefully, you're not living your life around this podcast release schedule. But if you are, just wanted to know, wanted you to know what's coming your way. Keyshawn Nixon has been something of a topic this week. He's had an excellent run of returns here for the Packers, and it's been exciting to watch. And we talked about this briefly post-game, but I wanted to dive into this subject a little bit more. Because Nixon has, he's been great. And it's been a long time since the Packers have had a return man who felt like this. Now, Micah Hyde was a great returner in his own right. A couple of of great punt returns in his time in, in Green Bay. Had a kickoff return for a touchdown, too. It felt different. He doesn't have, or he didn't have the top end speed that Nixon does. It's like the the old school scout thing that baseball scouts said about good hitters. The ball just sounds different coming off the bat. When Keyshawn Nixon is running up the field with the ball, it just looks different. Even if statistically there have been guys that have been close, and it's really been a guy, been a while since a guy was close to this good for the Packers, it just looks different. So how did the Packers not know that they had this guy? Matt LaFleur even said it this week, like, that's on us for not knowing what we had here. How does that happen? There are a variety of different ways it can. Let's look at Nixon's case. How did the Packers not know what they had here? Number one, Nixon wasn't signed to do this, and for good reason. Nixon has always played a ton of special team snap. That's been his his calling card in the NFL so far, though he's looked great as a slot corner when the Packers have needed him to do that too. But he's always been primarily a punt cover guy, a gunner or a flyer or whatever you want to call it, and great as one of the vice guys or hold-up guys on returns. That's what he did under Rich Bisacci with the Raiders. That's what they figured he would do in Green Bay. More importantly... He also has literally no history of returning punts. His career total of punt returns prior to this year was zero in the NFL and in college. Zero times. He had no punt returns. He had never done it before. And I'm talking about major college football here because he did go to junior college prior to being at South Carolina. I don't know what he did there, but he had no punt returns in two years at South Carolina and no returns in his NFL career to date. He also had just nine career kickoff returns prior to this year, too. Six in college, three in the NFL. Or maybe three in college, six in the NFL. It really doesn't matter. The point is he didn't have very many. This was not his 
job at any of his football stops to this point. So it wasn't just the Packers knowing he could do this. It was literally anyone knowing that he could do this. Secondly, injuries meant that he was never really going to get a chance to show what he could do in Green Bay anyway. It sounds great to say, well, they should have known what they had in him now, and I've been guilty of saying things like that too. But let's not forget, and if you've forgotten, that's okay, because I also did. had to look this back up myself. But Keyshawn Nixon was on the non-football injury list to start training camp and missed most of the first two weeks, at least the first seven practices. Some sources I read said he missed the first nine practices. And that may vary a little bit because of what they were doing in those practices. But the point is, for the first two to two and a half weeks of training camp, he was not on the field at all. Not playing corner, not covering punts, and not returning punts. By the time he actually got to the field, the Packers had four guys working at punt returner and kickoff returner. Amari Rodgers, Romeo Dobbs, Rico Gafford, and Ishmael Hyman. Now we know Rodgers, we know Dobbs. Gafford was another Bisaccia guy from the Raiders, and Hyman was the guy the Packers signed after a stint in the USFL. But Nixon basically jumps in on punt coverage and as one of the holdup guys or vice guys, there's not a lot of time for him to get a shot at being a punt returner. He only participated in four to five training camp practices, and that is not much time, especially if you're coming in essentially fifth on the depth chart. Thirdly, Nixon also barely played in the preseason. He played 44 snaps overall, only five on special teams. One of them was on punt return, and it wasn't as a returner. He just didn't do a lot, period, for the Packers to get a look at him, and almost none of it was on special teams in training camp. And that's important because, fourth, once the season starts, there's really no chance to practice this anyway. This sort of thing isn't something you're doing in season. And I know Amari Rodgers had his struggles just fielding punts at times, but that's basically all you're going to be doing in practice. You're not going to be running full contact punt coverage, punt return sorts of things in the NFL season. The 2011 CBA dramatically changed how NFL teams practice. They just don't have football practice the way I think a lot of us think football practices happen. If you played football in high school or college or, shoot, middle school, your chances are your practices look dramatically different than NFL practices. And I'm not saying because NFL practices involve a lot more hitting, they involve a lot less hitting. In-season NFL practices are walkthroughs and getting everybody lined up, making sure everybody's in the right personnel groupings, plus some minor installs and things like that. You're playing on air most of the season. The vast, vast majority of the season. You are very limited by the CBA and the amount of padded practices you can even do. And most teams, it seems at this point, have kind of just jettisoned that anyway in the season. Nobody wants to, so nobody's doing it. And it, since everyone is has kind of gone this way, there's no competitive advantage to doing it. You're just opening yourself up to injuries. So nobody practices things like punt returns with real hitting or real contact. There's really no opportunity for a guy like Nixon to show what he can do in practice. So really, you're just limited to, okay, Amari Rodgers hasn't been doing well. Let's throw Keyshawn out there and see how he does. 
And of course, that's kind of the rub the other way, because as valid as many of these points may be, you know, this wasn't his job. He didn't play a lot in the preseason. He was hurt a lot. They're not practicing it in season. The Packers still stuck with Amari Rodgers for too long. At some point, you do just have to try something different. And that's been a consistent thing with the Packers this year. So I think looking at Keyshawn Nixon and saying, well, they should have known what they have, maybe. However, I think the stronger point is saying the Packers have a consistent issue with sticking with guys for too long. And that is a much bigger problem than the Packers not knowing what they have in Keyshawn Nixon. Because Amari Rodgers was out there for a long time putting the Packers in danger of losing the ball on, on punt returns and turning it over at least once. Twice, actually. Once against the Commanders, once against the Cowboys. They stuck with Jake Hansen and Royce Newman up front for way too long. And, of course, there was some mitigating factors there with David Bakhtiari's uncertainty and stuff like that. But still, they didn't even try anything else. And then a defensive line situation, as we mentioned again and again and again, has been a consistent source of frustration because your first-round pick isn't even getting on the field. And, yes, there may be some, some things off the field that we don't know about, maybe study habits, maybe conditioning. For whatever reason, they're not putting Devontae Wyatt in the, in the game. But they're also not trying anything else. Right? They kept Chris Slayton around for months and months and months after ha- a, a pretty strong training camp, but he's never been to the 53-man roster. The Packers still just stick with Dean Lowry and Jaron Reed. The Packers liked Jack Heflin for months and months and months and months, uh, but he never made it to the 53 either, and now he's not even on the practice squad. Jonathan Ford can't even get active, even though he is on the 53-man roster. So even if it isn't Devontae Wyatt, the Packers haven't tried anything on the defensive line to try to fix their very obvious issues there. It's bad that the Packers didn't know what they had in Keyshawn Nixon. It's worse that they consistently see issues and don't try anything to try to fix them. That is the real story here with with Keyshawn Nixon. It's not that Nixon was good and Rodgers was bad. It's that Rodgers was bad and the Packers didn't try to see if Nixon, or anybody else for that matter, was good. Because I think there's another version of this story where somebody like Romeo Dobbs ends up returning returning punts for the Packers. But maybe the reason Omari Rodgers had the job for so long is that Sammy Watkins and Christian Watson were hurt early in the season, and the Packers didn't want to put their only other punt return option out there since he was also playing a big role at wide receiver. Romeo Dobbs was one of the only consistently healthy guys at receiver for the Packers early in the season, So they weren't going to put him back there on punt returns. At least that was what they were probably thinking. Maybe they should have. But I think if you want to hammer the Packers for something, it's not that they didn't know what they had in Keyshawn Nixon. It's that they didn't try to find out what people other than Amari Rogers could do. Let's turn our attention to the Dolphins here. I want to talk about the Dolphins kind of in a sort of philosophical way here, because I think this is relevant to other teams in the NFL and maybe even other teams in the Packers division too, (laughs) Minnesota Vikings. I want to make a distinction that's very narrow, but I think is important. I want to talk about teams that are good versus teams that are dangerous. Good teams are consistent. They beat other good teams. They beat bad teams handily. And you know week in and week out what you're going to get from a particular team. You know what to expect. That's the ideal. That's what you want to be. You want to be the good team. 
want to be the same team week in and week out, putting up the same kind of performances regardless of who you're playing. But dangerous teams can also be scary because dangerous teams are high variance. You might go into a game against a dangerous team and get your butt handed to you. You might walk in and say, well, you know, if we play well, we should probably win. And you just get plastered. They put up 45 on you. You can't do anything. And you're wondering on Monday morning, what hit you? Or you might walk in there to their stadium or yours or wherever the game is being played and just handle them easily and leave the game wondering why you were scared at all. And those high-variance teams, I think, are very difficult to prepare for because you have to prepare for them like they're a very dangerous team, but they might just fall apart right in front of you and you just walk in for a win. And I think the Dolphins are more dangerous than they are good. That, I think, is a pretty common thing under first-year head coaches because chances are a a head coach is being brought in to fix a situation where your team wasn't good or dangerous, they were just bad. And the step isn't going from bad to good. The, the step is going from being bad to being able to maybe surprise some teams. And I think that's where the Dolphins are. So far this season, they have had five games where they've scored 30 or more points. They've also had six games where they've scored 20 or fewer. Or maybe it's just flat out under 20. Yes, it is. Flat out under 20. Six times they've scored under 20 points in a game. And in a, in with a roster that includes Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, that doesn't seem like it should really be possible. That's some pretty serious variation, though, from one week to the next. Maybe you get 30. Maybe you get 17. For the record, the Packers also have six games where they've scored under 20 points including three where they've scored 10 or less. So it's not like the Packers are are much more of a stable team, but I think um, they're trending more towards that friskier, dangerous territory of late. But as the Packers look ahead to facing the Miami Dolphins, I think if you're looking for hope, it's that the Dolphins are that kind of high-variance team. They are not consistently going to roll out their very best version of their offense because they haven't done that all season long. They're not consistently going to be a team that puts up 30, 35 points a game because that just hasn't been who they are this year. But they can. And that's where things get scary for this Packers team because they are high variance in some unusual ways too. Their offense can suddenly decide to trip all over itself and you go out and you've got one of those afternoons where they score seven or nine or three. They are the sort of defense that can look really strong for a quarter and then trip all over themselves for two, three possessions in a row and all of a sudden a team has put up 20 in the span of a quarter and a half. And I think it's that difference that makes this game both promising for the Packers because if they play well, they can certainly win. And a little bit scary because there's a chance that they could have a real stinker here on Christmas Day. So how do the Packers make sure they come out on the right side of that high-variance equation that is the Miami Dolphins? Four things I think the Packers really need to do. First and foremost, I think they need to figure out how to take away the middle of the field 
when the Dolphins are on offense. The Dolphins have two explosive, speedy receivers in Hill and Waddle. We've talked about them. Everybody knows that Tyreek Hill can can get deep. He can get horizontal. He can just run away from you. But if you can force Tua Tungavailoa to take the long throws, that is, to the deep outside portions of the field, suddenly the equation tilts, if not in your favor, toward your favor. Because though I think concerns about his arm strength are a little bit overrated, given what he's done this year, and just given how accurate he can be when he's at his best, it's, I think, fair to say he doesn't have the world's strongest arm. And those deeper throws to the outside portions of the field are where you need that strong arm. If you can force him to throw to that portion of the field, you might have a chance. Maybe there's some reason for optimism here. Quay Walker is coming off his best game, I think, with the Packers. A lot of that showed up in coverage. He's putting it together. He's starting to put it together. And Devondre Campbell still, I think, is on the above average side as far as coverage linebackers go. There is also some weak reason to be a little bit concerned here, too, because linebackers are just part of the equation of defending the middle of the field. What else do you need? Well, you need strong safety play. And I'm not talking about the strong safety position. I'm talking about strong play generally from the safeties that you have on the field. And that has been a bit of a problem for the Green Bay Packers, to put it mildly this year. Saying this as gently as possible because I'm a big fan of his and we're trying to raise money for his charity, but Adrian Amos has taken a bit of a step back this year. I think that's fair to say. Darnell Savage, we don't have to be gentle about it. He has taken a step back this year, and that is on top of the step back that he took last year. He earned himself one single play last week against the Rams, and it wasn't a good one. The Packers are going to need to figure out how to take away the middle of the field with this relatively motley crew that they have. Are you going to get good Quay or bad Quay? Is Devondre Campbell capable of getting deep enough in his own to take away middle-of-the-field routes against Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell? To say nothing of Mike Kosicki? Can Adrian Amos run with any of those guys? Can Rudy Ford fill in the blank? I mean, there's a lot going on there. If the Packers can make it happen, they've got a chance. If they can't, things could get ugly. That's why I think the second thing here is that the Packers need to do is figure out how to shorten this game. If they try to score at the pace that the Miami Dolphins are capable of scoring at, and which I assume that they are going to score at, given the Packers' relative defensive weaknesses, I don't think that's a winning strategy for the Packers. Winning a shootout is not something the Packers have shown they can do this year. They, I guess you could say, did it against the Cowboys. They looked frisky against the Eagles. They haven't really gone toe-to-toe with a good team this year and just said, you score, we score, you score, we score. And that is what they would have to do if they want to just match points, match points with the Dolphins. So the Packers, I think, need to stick to their relatively conservative game plan. It's got to be those long scoring drives like they had against the Rams. And that's not a bad thing if you can continue to do it. And I think there is reason to believe that 
the version of the Packers offense we're seeing now is capable of consistently putting up those kinds of drives. Now, granted, the Rams aren't probably aren't a great example, given how banged up they were on defense, but the Packers did manage to keep moving the ball fairly well against the Rams to to score and to even to end the game. Scoring drives, 12 plays, 52 yards, 6 minutes off the clock. 11 plays, 74 yards, 6 minutes and 15 seconds off the clock. 11 plays, 68 yards, 6.56 off the clock. Closing out the game with a 15-play, 82-yard drive that took nearly 9 minutes of game time off the clock. Those are the sort of drives that you need to limit the Dolphins' chances of scoring points. That's not the greatest strategy in the world because you're also limiting your chances at scoring points, of course. But if you can consistently get to the end zone, that may be your path to victory. And I think it's what the Packers have to do given how quickly the Dolphins can score. To do that, though, point number three, they're going to have to play mistake-free on offense. Whoever's fault you think it was, whoever's fault it actually was, Aaron Rodgers' interception on that deep shot to Alan Lazard was a pretty big mistake in the Packers-Rams game. A better team probably makes the Packers pay, makes the Packers pay there. The Rams couldn't or didn't or whatever. Aaron Jones also had a, albeit a little bit Bush League, fumble. Two possessions. That could be 14 points for a good team. Those sorts of mistakes you can get away with against a team like the Rams. I'm not sure you can do that against the Dolphins. If you're giving them more shots to score points, you're probably going to end up on the wrong end of a, well, let's let's just say it again, that high-variance equation that is the Miami Dolphins again. And finally, I think we need a big play on special teams. Rich Bisaccia was very keen, it seemed, to block a punt in the Packers' last game. He was, he was making every effort to make sure that the Packers blocked a punt against the Rams. Didn't quite get it done. It was real close a couple times, but didn't quite get all the way there. Now is the time. The Packers did manage to block a punt earlier this season against the Jets. Now is the time to do it again. And failing that, maybe we just have Keyshawn Nixon finally rip off a couple big punt returns, maybe take one for a score, or maybe just avoid getting the big penalties that erase his... Uh, his great efforts as a kick and punt returner. I think you need those phases. You need the Packers to figure out how to do one thing on defense that slows down the Dolphins, starting with the middle of the field. Then you've got to shorten the game on offense and then hope for a big play on special teams. I think that sounds a lot more like a wish than a plan, and I think that's kind of just where the Packers are right now. I can say pretty confidently the Packers don't have the horses to slow down Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Even on his best day, Jair Alexander can't do all of that himself. And given the the rest of the secondary's performance of late and throughout the season as a whole, pretty much doing it himself is what he'll have to do. Now, maybe he does find a way to slow down Tyreek Hill himself. That makes the rest of the job considerably easier. But the Packers still have to work at taking away the middle of the field. If they can do that, if they can continue to shorten the game on offense, keeping the Dolphins away from the football, and get one or two big plays on special teams, 
Anything can happen. Shoot, it's Christmas. You never know. In the meantime, while we're hoping for those sorts of things, that's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you listening in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about our favorite team, the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.